Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! Welcome back, everybody. Once again, this is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King, and we're all set to go against the spread on this week's NFL and college football cards as we are now officially into the second week, or second half, I should say, of the NFL football season and also fastly approaching the college football playoffs. And with that, the college football poll rankings are out. Victor and I are going to talk about those in just a moment or so. But first, let me welcome Victor King to the show. Victor, how are you doing this football season? And how did you enjoy the elections on Election Tuesday for the midterm elections? Okay, so we'll pass on the elections, particularly down <laughs> here in the, in the state of Florida, where, you know, the most important thing was the amendment we had down here to the fast track to sports gaming down here in Florida. We wanted to be up there with some of the other progressive states in regards to the sports gaming the amendment failed last night. A little bit disappointing. Uh, some of the other elections didn't quite go the way we had voted, but uh, that's another story. I would much rather talk about something that we're very good at and very enthusiastic at, and that is uh, college football heating up, college basketball. Man, oh, man, there was 173 games in college basketball to start the season on Tuesday night. I'm going to have a lot of work in the database once we get off the phone. But uh, we got to start talking about the fact that, you know, is this Alabama team one of the better college football undefeated programs of all time as well, Mark? Well, that was very impressive what they did last week against LSU. No question about that. LSU, a top four ranked team, failed to score a point at home against mighty Alabama last week. So it almost looks as if we're going to send Alabama directly to the college football playoff championship game from this point forward. The only question remaining is whether or not they will be covering point spreads along the way because they certainly don't appear to be in any danger of losing a football game, albeit possibly the Southeast Conference title game if and when they meet the Georgia Bulldogs, where they will meet the Georgia Bulldogs in that game. So that could be a test for Alabama. You know what I find a little bit interesting, Victor, as far as uh, the college football ratings and rankings go, and we'll talk about them and the new play- football playoff rate ratings right now in the second poll that was released. But uh, a little bit of a peeve of mine is following the Jeff Sager and college football ratings each week. Uh, you know, I have a good friend named Steve Pugh who also does football ratings. He calls them the computer ratings, P-U-G-H. His name is last name is Pugh, computer rank, ratings and rankings. I follow him a little bit more so than I do Jeff Sagarin. And one of the main reasons is if you look at the Jeff Sagarin ratings and rankings, you'll find situations like this. You'll find number six ranked Ohio State Buckeyes. I'm not arguing with the fact that the Buckeyes are the sixth ranked team in college football this year. Arguably so. It just depends upon your evaluation and your rankings of the team. But the Ohio State Buckeyes moved up from number 15 to number 6 last week in the Sagarin ratings, despite the fact that they played one of their poorest games of the season last week 
right. barely won the won the football game against Nebraska, but moved up from 15 to six in the rankings. Uh, on the same token, Notre Dame comes in number 12 in the Sagarin ratings, uh, and this is after beating a really good Northwestern team by double digits last week. And what did Notre Dame do? They went from number four last week to number 13 this week. It just boggles my mind, and I can't get around the fact that these ratings and rankings are tweaked and adjusted, not so much on their true value of power rankings, but more or less to meet the criteria of what the public perceives these teams to be. Uh, now, and I see a lot of this with Sagarin in the college basketball tournaments because I use his ratings and rankings in the tournaments to look for value in those point spread lines. And I, I do know for a fact that when the NCAA tournament begins, his ratings and ranking adjustments are drastically uh, turned around to fit the point spreads. And we're seeing a little bit of that here with the Sagarin ratings here right now. So uh, my question to you, Victor, is how closely do you follow the Sagarin ratings? And if you do, uh, do you agree with what I'm saying in his adjustments of the rankings from week to week as each game plays? I do follow them, and it sounds like someone's got some splaining to do. That is definitely for sure. I could, particularly in that case that you gave, you know, uh, Notre Dame has played the tougher schedule than Ohio State, and yet they've basically flipped in the rankings based on last week's results, like you say. Uh, the. Other surprising thing I'm seeing in regards to, uh, you know, Sagrett's college football rankings is he's got Mississippi State ranked higher than Notre Dame as well. In, in fact, the 11th best program in college football, I give him credit for a good 6-3 and three record, but the 11th best team in college football, I don't think so. They're, what, number 16 or 17 in the ESPN college football playoff rankings version 2 which was just announced last night. So, yeah, there's a someone needs to do a little bit of explaining in regards to his rankings changing like that. The college football rankings that did come out on Tuesday night, you're seeing that log jam for the four, five, and six spot, the one-loss teams in Michigan and Georgia and in Oklahoma. And the biggest uh, risers, in the college football rankings, actually were in the ACC conference. Syracuse moved up six spots. Uh, North Carolina State moved up seven spots. Boston College moved up five spots. So the ACC are making a little bit of run in terms of the rankings. The teams that fell the most were actually teams from the Big Ten Conference. Penn State fell six spots. Iowa fell five spots. But it's all going to come down to, of course, who is the best one-loss team in college football, or who will be once the regular season ends? Well, that team would likely be, I would say, Victor, Michigan, should they be able to get in and out of the horseshoe alive against Ohio State in their regular season-ending game. If they can get into Ohio State, win that football game, I think they would justifiably make their case for being the nation's best one-loss team, their only loss being to Notre Dame in the season opener. Uh, you've got Oklahoma, obviously, in the Big 12 Conference, the kingpin there with one loss on the season right now. And you've got the Georgia Bulldogs with one loss. And if they happen to knock off Alabama in that SEC title game, they'll certainly be in amongst the final four teams in college football this year. And we didn't even talk about uh, the guy that's being swept under the rug. And that is it, – it's Central Florida for sure, okay? But, uh, you know, the bottom line is they're, they're not a group of five teams, so they're not going to make the college football 
playoffs being only a four-team playoff. But the guy also that I think is being dissed is Washington State this football season here uh, with only one loss in the season. And that one loss came against Southern Cal in a very highly controversial call. We talked about it in a show or two in the past. They lost by three points in, in a game where a targeting call was not made. But Washington State's one of only four teams in college football that's perfect in the stats. They've outgained everybody they played this year. And uh, not to belabor the point, but uh, it's also a Washington State team that took down an improving California team last week. And what was their reward in the Sagarin rankings? They went from number nine to number 22. Uh, so, again, you know, not, not, not beating up on Jeff Sagarin, but I don't quite understand. I, I can understand what happens in the college football playoff ranking polls, as you just uh, w- reviewed with what happened, because those teams are all understandably where they are. Uh, the, you know, their records are what they are, and they're, I think they're slotted properly in the college football playoff poll ranking. So uh, you, you could, we can could make a whole show based on rankings and ratings and where teams are going to go. But the bottom line here is if they take care of business from this point forward here, these one-loss teams can make their cases. But Michigan's case will be to beat Ohio State if they don't. Will Ohio State barge into the playoffs as a one-loss team? Uh, and if they do uh, do just that, uh, the Buckeyes here, is it that will that be justified? Because if you go inside the numbers here, their defense is just flat out rotten this football season here. So mm-hmm. a lot of inter- a lot of interesting cases to be made for some of these one-loss teams. Victor, before I go over to the NFL side, your take on who you foresee to be the uh, there will be at least obviously two one-loss teams because there's only two undefeated teams right now. Who would you project those two one-loss teams to be to make the college football playoffs? To, to make the playoffs, uh, I, I would definitely stay there with uh, Michigan and uh, go with Oklahoma as well. Uh, in fact, Oklahoma has a big in-state game coming up this week that we'll be talking about a little bit later. And, of course, they're going to be finishing the season against West Virginia. And uh, on a side note, give West Virginia a little bit of credit for going for the win on the road against Texas and not the tie with that 42-41 victory and a two-point conversion at the very end of the game. And what happens if West Virginia takes down Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game? They there you too go. could be that one-loss team. So a lot right. of conjecture, to say the least, with college football. And it makes for a great time uh, for football games, watching and handicapping football games this time of the year. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And with that, Victor, let's move it over to the National Football League side of things, where, to put it bluntly, I'm hearing Vegas got killed last week. Uh, it was one of the biggest slaughters, they said, in, in for the sports books in Las Vegas. In fact, it's been going on for three weeks now. The Vegas books are crying the blues. A combination of the Sharps and the betting public beat them up pretty good last week. And the, the, the thing that really makes uh, raises my eyebrow a little bit here, Victor, is the fact that it wasn't all just square monies, big, big favorites at one game last week. There was a mixture of good, uh, some underdogs and some popular teams that also won that helped into this burying of Vegas last week. And I don't know what you can contribute that to, Victor. Is it because the teams that won the games were popular with the public, good-looking teams like the Pittsburgh Steelers? Yes. And not, and, and not just the, uh, you know, the uh, undefeated L.A. Rams types teams who, by the way, went down last week. But uh, your take on what happened in Vegas last week. I would agree with you. It's the favorite teams in the NFL. You know, the uh, one of the things you hear in regards to a sports book is the only thing more dangerous than a public favorite is a public underdog. 
because it's the public, the squares grabbing the points with that public underdog, and already the sharps grabbing the points with that underdog. And that underdog that we're talking about is indeed the Pittsburgh Steelers. I know you had them uh, on your service for a Sunday play, and uh, that's exactly what it is, is the public favorite teams did well last week. It wasn't a great uh, uh, imbalance in terms of favorites and underdogs. In fact, favorites went 6-6 six and six ATS last week. But it uh, started last Monday with, again, the big-time public teams. And when I say last Monday, the Patriots covering the spread against the Buffalo Bills in uh, backdoor fashion because of a pick-six at the end of that Monday night game. But the public favorite teams that got the money this last Sunday that did uh, cause everybody to cry woe a little bit in regards to the sports books. You had the Patriots covering in the Sunday night game against the Packers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, again, a square dog and a sharp dog at the same time, Kansas City uh, on the road against Cleveland, winning by double digits, covering the spread, even other favorite home favorite teams that covered Minnesota at home against Detroit, Carolina at home against Tampa Bay as well. So, again, it was those teams that people like laying the points with, not to mention a sharp underdog in which everybody was on uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers side against the Baltimore Ravens in that particular game. It's still not been a bad season for underdogs overall. They've gone, what, 65, 59, and 4 ATS. Your best situation for underdogs this year have been underdogs when playing off a win their previous game. These have been very confident underdogs this season. And in fact, I've got the numbers here from our database. In the last four weeks, underdogs off a win in their last game have gone 15-4 and four ATS in the last four weeks. That's wow. over 70%. And there are five of them going this week. We're talking about the Panthers on Thursday night, Cincinnati Bengals, Miami Dolphins, Tennessee Titans, and even the Arizona Cardinals. Wow, good update from Victor King on what's going on in the National Football League thus far this football season here. And uh, before I close this out with one final thought of mine, the playoff picture, as it were, if the NFL football playoffs were to begin this week, these would be the seedings, the six teams in the National Football League that would be in the playoffs out of the AFC. Number one seed, Kansas City. Number two, New England. Number three, Pittsburgh followed by number four, the Houston Texans, number five, the L.A. Chargers, and number six, the Cincinnati Bengals. On the NFC side of things, we'd find the L.A. Rams as the number one seed, followed closely by the New Orleans Saints coming in at number two, the upstart Chicago Bears in at number three, the Washington Redskins, who I think are about to start reeling rather than rocking moving forward here, ending at number four, Number five, the Carolina Panthers. And number six, the Minnesota Vikings. So keep an eye on these football teams. But more importantly, look at the teams that are just out of the playoff picture that might be wanting to play off and position themselves coming up. Teams like Miami, Tennessee, Baltimore, Jacksonville, and the AFC, Atlanta, Seattle, Philadelphia, and Green Bay on the NFC side of things. Victor, before we go to break here, one thought in closing here. I was speaking uh, Wednesday morning with Mitch and Pauly on the VSIN uh, sports broadcast that I do every Wednesday with them at uh, 8.30 Eastern, and uh, we were talking about the Cleveland Browns looking at the possibility of hiring Bruce Arians as the head coach, and I really am rather warming up to that possibility for a couple of reasons. Number one, 
he wants to be the head coach with the Cleveland Browns. You know, there's not a lot of coaches that really want to be that head coach. They would take it and accept it for the job and the position. And number two, he's done nothing but been a winner in his career in the National Football League as a head coach. He owns a 628 win percentage, and he resurrected an Arizona Cardinal football team that was floundering and took them to the playoffs. Uh, that's my own personal take is I think he'd be a, a, a great choice for this job. Victor, your take on what about your take on Bruce Arians? And if not Arians, who should the Cleveland Browns be looking at? No, I agree with you hundred percent. He's got a history with Cleveland too. And we've got to go back a little bit far, but he was offensive coordinator for the Browns. Yes. Back, back in the three year period of 2001 to 2003, he was the OC during Cleveland's and people probably don't even know that the Browns actually made the playoffs once in the last 20 years, but their lone <laughs> playoff appearance in the expansion era after the 2002 season in which they lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers in a high scoring game, 36 to 33, uh, that three year period Arians was the offensive coordinator. And of course he's got high praise for Baker Mayfield. He loved the draft pick. He loves his enthusiasm. He's uh, uh, a real guy. He's not a false guy. And, uh, again, he would come out of retirement for only one job in the NFL, and that's the Cleveland Browns. And uh, that, that tells me a lot. Well, you got to love that, Victor, especially being native Clevelanders as we are, being a real person, you know, not a phony baloney, but a real guy, a blue-collar kind of a guy who wants to be the head coach in Cleveland. I'd love to see that happen. Hey, don't go away, guys. When we come back, Victor and I, we're going to tear apart our college football game of the week. It's Bedlam going on in Oklahoma. We'll do that and a whole lot more when we come back here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. If your goal is to become a winner at sports wagering, then the all-new Sports Data University is just for you. You can learn responsible sports wagering in live classes and free courses from the world's sharpest sports wagering instructors, such as Mark Lawrence, Victor King, Andy Isco, and an array of other top experts. Join live classes and ask questions you want answers to. Listen, learn, and watch at Sports Data University. Visit today at sportsdata.com. That's Sports Data University, located at sportsdata.com. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King, and we're going against the spread on this week's college and pro football cards. And it's time for one of the bigger college and football rivalry games this Saturday the Bedlam series when Oklahoma plays host to Oklahoma State in the Big 12 Conference. Victor, your take on the over-under possibilities in this big Bedlam matchup on Saturday. Over, over, and over some more. That's what well, I think well, about What did you say, Victor? Did you game. say over? Did you say... <laughs> Sorry about that. Hey, we, we already have two teams with uh, that begin with O, so I would think that in this 113th meeting... Uh, chances are, I don't think we're going to see the, what, uh, 114 points that we saw last year between these two teams, but we very well could, that's for sure. It's a 3.30 Eastern kickoff. It's at Oklahoma. Uh, 17 to 18 point favorites right now for the Sooners in this game. It opened up at 75 and a half in terms of the over-under line. It's gone up a full point to 76 and a half as we record the podcast here on Wednesday morning. And yeah, that's a, that's a pretty big number in college football. I still like the game over the total. I mean, Oklahoma's what eight and one over under on the season, the average 
over under line for the Sooners, 64.4. Average score is 77.2. Their average game has gone over the total and by double-digit margins by 12.8 points per game. Check out their last uh, the point totals in their last five conference games for the Sooners. 99 points, 93 points, 79 points, 65 points, and 97 points. Their last five conference games have averaged 86.6 points per game. That means that our current number of 76.5, it looks kind of small in comparison to what they have done lately. I mean, what, last week, 683 offensive yards against Texas Tech, and they could have had a lot more points as they had one drive called back by penalties and a couple more that stalled as well. They're one of the better over teams in conference play, 40-19-1 now in their last 60 conference games. Now, that's going back to about a nine-year period, but that's uh, reliable, that's consistent, that's better than 67% over a nine-year period in their conference games. Not only that, but they even do a little bit better when playing off an ATS loss. And, yeah, they won last week, but they did not get the cash against Texas Tech. They've also gone 8-2 and two to the over after allowing 40 or more points per game. And, of course, uh, they did that last week as well as they allowed, uh, what, 46 points to Texas Tech in that 51-46 to 46 win. So let me see here. 51 points last week, 51 against K-State. The game before that, 52 against a good TCU defense. The week before that, 45-48 loss against Texas. Of course, the game played in Big D. It's all about the over when it comes to Oklahoma. Now, Oklahoma State, not quite the great over numbers that they've had in the past. Five and four over under on the season for the Cowboys. Average line, 64.6. Average score, 67.1. They've gone three and three over under in conference play on the season. They did step it up last week against what I consider to be a pretty good Baylor defense, a defense that will get better with their head coach. Uh, let's see here. Oklahoma State has scored 31 or more points in four out of their last five conference games. They had 523 yards of offense against Baylor last week. Uh, a good over team in the month of November, now 11-2 and two to the over for the Cowboys. And when we take a look at the series history of the last six meetings, there's been four overs, one under, one tie, average line 79.8. Man, these are gaudy numbers. Average score 96.4. So the average Oklahoma-Oklahoma State game has gone over by 16.6 points per game in the last six meetings. As I just briefly touched on, that included last year's game. The over-under line was exactly the same as it is this year at 76.5. Final score, 62-52. to 52. The game went over by 37.5 points. So it's either play the over and root for a lot of points or pass in regards to the total. Uh, you know, both teams are very, very good in the red zone. Oklahoma, number seven in the red zone. And when I talk about in the red zone, I'm talking about converting red zone opportunities into touchdowns. Uh, they're at 71% when they're in the red zone. Oklahoma State, not bad either, at 60%. And as you touched on in the Playbook newsletter this week, 
Uh, Oklahoma doesn't have the best red zone defense either. They're ranked number 127 in red zone defense. They're allowing opponents to score 83% of their red zone trips into touchdowns as well. So there you got it. We got the stats. We got the numbers. We got the serious history. We've got even what looks like a pretty manageable over-under line of 76.5 based on the point spread and the over-under line. The predicted final score is 47.5 to 29. And I think the game's going to be a little bit closer. I'm seeing something more like a 48 to 38. Maybe Oklahoma State uh, keeps it within single digits and covers the spread in the game. But either way, I think we got a very, very good shot of seeing 85 or more points when these two collide in Bedlam on Saturday afternoon. The number looks tall, but Victor says it's there for a reason between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Looking over the 76.5 points for a lean side in the football game. He'll keep an eye on how that total moves. And as you mentioned here, this series has been nothing but high-scoring football games. You take a look at the last six games in the series in which Oklahoma has won five of those games on the scoreboard, four and two to the spread. They played to an average total of 46 to 34. That's 80 points they've averaged in the last six meetings in this series. Oklahoma State comes in at just 5-4 and four on the football season this year. And that was to be expected when they suffered some big hits in the draft this year, losing their quarterback and wide receivers to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the draft. But they also need only one more win to go bowling again this football season. So you can be sure that in this football game, Mike Gundy will have his foot to the pedal all throughout the football game. He's not going to concede anybody, anything to any team from this point moving forward here. Speaking about Gundy, in his career as an underdog of 18 or more points. He's been in seven of those games. He's won the money six times, including a perfect 5-0 and in those games when he comes in off a loss. And speaking about coming off a loss, Mike Gundy got tripped up as a favorite last week. He's been outstanding in bounce-back games in those situations, going 15-2-1 and straight up in games after losing straight up as a favorite, including a perfect four or make that five and all record when he's an underdog in games off a straight up favorite loss. Looking at Oklahoma in the side of the football game here, if you like value, you have to take a look at the Oklahoma state side of the game. If for no other reason, just the fact that in Las Vegas at the South point before the season began, Oklahoma was instilled as a 11 point favorite in the football game. They're minus 20 right now as we speak. So there's a lot of value to the visiting Cowboys in this contest here. This is also an Oklahoma team whose defense is what I would call soft, not mediocre, not good, soft. They're under Lincoln Riley since he's been their head coach the last two years. They're allowing an average of 28 points a game, which is not really uh, all that impressive for a top 10 type caliber football team. And that fits into my side in the football game being Oklahoma State, when, especially when you consider that Oklahoma as a double digit favorite in games in which they allow 27 or more points, they're just 6-39 and 39 against the spread. If Oklahoma State gets their 28 points in this football game, like I anticipate they will, that'll make it even more comfortable for Oklahoma State to take down the money. I'll play Oklahoma State plus the points for my side in this football game. Hey, don't go away, guys. When we come back, Victor and I, we're going to tear down our NFL game of the week. We've got a beauty in the NFC West division this week. And we'll also hop out to Las Vegas to get the Vegas vibe from our good friend Andy Isco at thelogicalapproach.com. 
when we're back with more here on Mark Barnes Against the Spread. All new Playbooks tokens are here. Only at Playbook.com can you earn rewards and get up to $100 in free Playbucks tokens to use as you choose. And with your Playbucks tokens, you can use them for Playbook experts' picks and selections. Plus, you earn 20% in free bonus tokens when you do. If you haven't got your $100 in free Playbucks tokens, do so now. Simply visit Playbook.com and click on the Tokens link. It's that easy. That's the all-new Playbucks tokens waiting for you at Playbook.com. The only football newsletter in America devoted exclusively to NFL over-under totals. The Totals Tip Sheet is a must-read if you're serious about adding extra income to your bankroll this football season. Get exclusive insight on the overs and unders from Victor King, the NFL Totals Guru, at Playbook.com. The Totals Tip Sheet has got you totally covered this football season. It's the best reference source of its kind in the nation. Get your Totals Tip Sheet today at Playbook.com and enjoy the winners. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King, and we're going against the spread on this week's College and Pro Football Cards. It's time once again for our College Football Game of the Week. Make that our NFL Game of the Week. We're going to hop over to the NFC West Division when the L.A. Rams play host to the Seattle Seahawks in what should be a really highly entertaining football game on Sunday. Victor, your take on the Seahawks and the Rams this Sunday. Well, that game last week, that was a lot of fun to watch, wasn't it? The Saints-Rams game, 45-35 to was the final score. A lot of points down there in the big easy. I don't think we're going to see the same amount of points this week in this key division game. The Rams opened up, uh, oh, about an eight-point favorite. When I looked at this morning as we record the podcast, they're up to about 10 already against the Seattle Seahawks. The over-under line opened at 51.5. It is working its way down. I'm agreeing with the line move in this particular spot. There's a couple of 51s out there. There's even a couple of 50.5s. And I do think the game is going to be a little bit lower scoring than people think. I know the earlier meeting, they just played back in early October up in Seattle. The final score was 33-31. to is a pretty high-scoring game. Over-underline was 50.5. They scored 64 up there in Seattle. Yes, each of the last two meetings in this series have gone over the total. But working our way back a little bit more, I'm also seeing four out of the last six meetings have indeed gone under the total between these two teams with an average of only 36.3 points per game. Uh, a interesting situation for the Rams. How will they react after their very first loss of the season? And I think you may have something to add to that, Mark, when you talk about the uh, ATS side of things for NFL teams who perhaps started the year 8-0 and off their first loss of the season. Uh, the Rams are not quite the great over team that they were last year. They're 4-5. and five over under on the season, their average line, 15 and a half average uh, combined point total, 55.4 on the flip side, Seattle is one of the better under teams this season in the NFL. Six out of their eight games thus far have gone under the total average line, 44.9 uh, average score, 43.0. This is a little bit revealing. They've gone one and they only played three home games 
and they've played six road games already. Excuse me, five road games. But it is in their road games that they've achieved their best under results, the Seattle Seahawks. I'm showing uh, under against Detroit on the road, under against Oakland on the road, under against Arizona on the road, under against Chicago on the road. Their only road over was in their very first game of the season against Denver. So Seattle does tend to shut it down a little bit when it comes to the road. And uh, most of my numbers that have me thinking the under is the side to go in this game comes out of our database. The very first thing that I queried were uh, NFL teams off a big-time, high-scoring road loss like the Rams. We just talked about it. They went into New Orleans last week. They lost 45-35. to 35. Uh, Here you go. From the database, NFL favorites of three or more points off a straight-up road loss in which they scored and allowed 35 or more points like the Rams have gone a perfect 0-8-1 over-under in their next game, and that dates all the way back to the 2011 season. So the database tells us that these teams do tend to shut things down off a high-scoring road loss in their previous game. Here's another one as well. Uh, I, I always like looking at the venue. How do teams do after playing in the high altitude of Denver and the mile-high Rocky City? Or how do teams do after playing a game in the Big Easy in New Orleans? And NFL teams off a road loss to the Saints in their last game have gone 1-9 and nine over under when the over-under line is greater than 38 points. That applies to the Rams this week as well. The fact that they are now laying double digits is significant. We know that uh, the higher the point spread in an NFL game, the better the likelihood of that game actually going under the total. And that falls into our little game flow or game script scenario. The double-digit favorite gets out to a big lead. There is no need to uh, uh, play dynamically on offense in a situation like that. You want to run out the clock in the second half. And, in fact, double-digit home favorites in the last three years have indeed gone under the total at a 70% clip. And, finally, within this particular division, Mark, NFC West division games – in week 11 or less, have gone 5 and 16 over under in the last four seasons. That's 76% under the total. So for that reason, I'm agreeing with the line move. If you're going to play it, you're going to probably want to get it in soon as the line is working its way down. Either way, I see a different outcome than the first meeting a few weeks ago, Seattle and the Rams under the total. Same season revenge rematch between the Seahawks and the Rams. Victor goes under the total in the rematch between these two football teams. The Seattle Seahawks driving once again to try and make the playoffs this football season here, especially off of their tough season they had last year. Uh, Went nine wins but didn't quite yet make the playoffs, so playing with revenge in this football game should suit them well in this contest here. Victor mentions that this is a bubble burst situation for the L.A. Rams, and indeed it is after opening the season up 8-0 and taking their first loss of the season here. Uh, I can say this, that in the newsletter we hit on this, also in our USA Today Sports Weekly article, we hit on the same topic about the Rams being in a bubble burst situation. Teams in the NFL who open up 8-0 and or greater and take that first loss in the next game, they're just 6-7 and seven straight up and 5-8 and eight to the spread. 
dating back to 1988. That means that these teams, after that first loss, when the bubble has been burst, have come back to the next game and lost more times than they've won in the very following football game. It might be difficult for the Rams getting themselves back up off the carpet in this football game, even though they're taking on Seattle. The Rams have done a great job this football season here getting to where they are, largely because they do not turn the football over. You take a look at their turnovers this year, only seven giveaways, if you will, by the Rams in their nine football games this season. That's a sign of a very well-coached football team, and the Rams will be favored in this contest Obviously, here double-digit favorites in the game. Uh, in fact, they're going to probably be a favorite in every football game they play this year. Next week, they're going to take on Kansas City in Mexico. Now, depending upon what happens in this game, if the Rams lay an egg in this contest, they may end up coming a dog in the game. But I doubt that the Rams or the Chiefs have been dogs three times this year. We're going to see the Rams favorite in that football game next week. So they will likely be favored in every game they play this football season. The Seattle Seahawks come into the game. Not intimidated, given the fact that they've beat the Rams 19 of the last 27 games on the scoreboard in this series here, with only two losses in those 27 games by more than six points by Seattle in this contest here. Seattle has now won each of the last three games they played away from Seattle coming into the contest here, getting road savvy, if you will. They're currently the number eight seed in the NFC playoffs here. They would be two seeds away from making the playoffs. They're striving, obviously, hard to make the playoffs here. This is a key critical game for Seattle. One of the stats and facts I like the most in this game is the fact that their quarterback, Russell Wilson, has absolutely shined in his National Football League career as a division underdog. He's 7-1 and one to the spread, taking points in division games, including a perfect 6-0 and to the spread as a division road dog. With the bubble burst in effect, Russell Wilson being the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, I'll grab the Seahawks plus the points for my side in this big showdown game on Sunday. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And with that, let's hop out to Las Vegas for one of our favorite segments on the show as we join in with our good friend Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And Andy, how is things? how are things going in Vegas these days? And as Victor and I talked about at the beginning of the show, we understand that the bookmakers in Vegas are crying the blues after last week. I think the uh, bookmakers, Mark, always cry the blues, uh, <laughs> but it's been a little bit more realistic over the last few weeks as the public continues to perform extremely well. The big favorites uh, continue to come in, and the public uh, happens to be on the right underdogs more often than not. In fact, when we take a look at the results of uh, the uh, contests here in town, uh, the results will reflect the fact that uh, the public has been having a very good season thus far. Of course, we're at the halfway point in the NFL season, about the two-thirds point in the college season, and ultimately the bookmakers end up getting the money back. So what happens is that they're just not getting the influx of new money that they normally would be getting at this point of the year if the public were on a losing streak. So I don't feel all that bad for the bookmakers. And it's interesting because over the last few years we've seen 
I think it's been a change in the way that lines are made. It's a battle between the sabermetricians, if you will, and the old-style handicappers and bettors who will bet more on what they see and what they've experienced. And as a result, I think we've seen a lot of the numbers come down so that favorites have been a little bit more attractive than they have been in the past because of the fear of the large syndicates who tend to bet more on uh, the, the underdogs as well as those who happen to rely strictly on power ratings and very often the power ratings will suggest that uh, the lines are not nearly as high as they should be so it's an interesting battle between the lines makers and the handicappers slash betters and we're trying to find that equilibrium where you get back to the old days where basically the bookmakers just have the 11 to 10 working for them and they work on the basis of volume don't know that we're ever going to get back to those days as it's a changing environment. There's more information out there than ever before, but more importantly, there's more ways of analyzing that information, drawing comparisons, using statistical analysis, and yet it's still a game played by humans with a ball that bounces funny. Lenny, that's a great point that you make because uh, we live in this world today of computers and, like you say, sabermetrics when it comes to breaking down and handicapping sports. Uh, especially football games, NFL, college football games, and uh, I'm with you. Uh, you know, I'm. Uh, we're both from the old school, obviously. Here, uh, that's what the way we were born and raised, and uh, how we handicap uh, our sports for a living. Uh, but the bottom line to me is, regardless of how it is you do your handicapping, you know, the most important thing is number one to stand by what it is that you do and not forever be changing based upon uh, results from game to game or week to week like that. Uh, and the other part of the equation here to me is that it has to pass the eye test, uh, regardless of what your formulas are. And I love tearing apart statistics, just like I know you do, Andy, uh, you do a great job in your logical approach newsletter each and every week. Uh, we all like to get into and look for edges for games that are maybe, uh, a little bit under the surface, not apparent from what are on the scores and point spread results and so forth and whatnot. But, uh, in doing so, uh, in formulating that bottom line, the handicap of the game, it goes takes me back to the days of when I met Bob Martin when I was in Las Vegas and met him for lunch one, or breakfast, I should say, one morning with a group of guys as they were always putting their lines together on a Tuesday morning breakfast that they would have at one of their popular local diners and the manner in which they did that. It was just all basically a matter of opinion, and it was eye test. It was you know what they saw and what they felt the public was going to bet in the football games. You say it's a little bit different these days, and it is, and it will continue to widen that gap. I think just for no other reason, the fact that uh, sports wagering is now legalized, and we're going to see a lot more of it here in the in the very near future of things to come here. But uh, I'm with you, Andy. I think that uh, regardless of what your method is, that the bottom line to anything in handicapping is you have to feel that it passes the eye test and that you're walking away with value. I've always uh, described handicapping as a combination of both art and science, or science and art, if you will. The science being the numbers. What do they say? What do they mean? Etc. The Actually, the what do they mean is more towards the artistic part, interpreting the numbers. You know, put them within their proper context. And in order to be successful, you need to have a balance between the two. It doesn't have to be 50-50. Some people may be 70% numbers and 30% interpretation. Others may be the other way around. But you have to have some sort of balance because numbers don't tell you the whole story and uh, the field test doesn't tell you the whole story as well. You really need to balance both. And as you point out, 
Stand by your convictions. Know what's worked in the past. Don't totally disregard or dismiss out of hand any new theories that come along. Incorporate them, if you will. Understand them as best you can, and then see if they make sense to what you're doing. And ultimately, it'll be reflected in in the results. You get 100 handicappers and betters together in a room, and you'll get 100 different approaches as to how to beat this game. Well, it's all about, it's just like life, Andy. It's all about balancing things, whether it's uh, you know how you eat, how you exercise, what it is you do. If you do proper balance in things and don't over, uh, you know, overindulge in any one particular aspect of what you're doing, you're going to be better off for it in the long run, especially when it comes to handicapping football games. And Andy, talking about handicapping football games, it appears to me, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the uh, Vegas Superbook contest at the uh, Westgate Superbook, uh, it appears to me that, uh, again, once again, that the consensus place had a pretty good week last week. Uh, as a matter of fact, they did in both the Super Contest Classic and the Super Contest Gold. Let's start with the uh, Super Contest Gold. That's the $5,000 entry fee, winner take all, roughly 120 contestants, a little bit over that this year, battling for that winner take all price, uh, prize of more than $600,000. The consensus last week went four and one. The winners in the uh, consensus last week with the Super Contest Gold, the Tennessee Titans, were the most popular choice. Of course, there's going to be a much narrower margin with only 120 or so contestants compared to the larger contest. So 49 contestants were actually on the Tennessee Titans, a little bit less than half the field. That was the number one uh, contestant play. The Steelers, the number, the second most popular play. Uh, were uh, teaser winners as well. A tie for third between the Chargers and the Vikings. Both of those uh, won and covered. And then the lone loser last week, the L.A. Rams, went off as a two to two and a half point road favorite in their game at the Saints. But in the contest, the Saints were the favorite because that line move came over the last 48 hours prior to uh, game time. And the Rams were plus one and a half. That was the lone loser last week. So the consensus last week in the Super Contest Gold, four and one. For the season, that's 25 up, 16 down with four pushes. You get a, a point for a win, a half point for a push. So that's 27 out of possible 45 points. So that means the consensus, not the leader, the consensus is hitting 60% this year as far as the Super Contest Gold goes. The leader of that contest has a record of 30 up, 14 down, and one push. That's 30.5 out of a possible 45 points. That's 67.8%. Even though they only pay the top uh, the top finisher, and as I say, there's a three-way tie, actually, at uh, 30, 14, and 1. There are 53 contestants at 25 points or more, uh, so that almost half the field is hitting better than 55%. As far as the uh, Super Contest Classic, that's the traditional contest that uh, has been around for 30 years, a $1,500 entry fee. Again, you pick five selections against a static point spread that comes out Wednesday afternoons. Uh, prior to last week, the consensus was barely over 500 at 21 and 19, but it went 5 and 0 last week. Winners on the Vikings, the Chiefs, the Steelers, the Texans, and the Titans. So a fair amount of overlap between the top five plays in both contests. Of course, the uh, 5 and 0 improved the record to 26 and 19 year to date for the Super Contest Classic consensus. That's 57. 0.8%. So that's pretty good uh, for uh, the consensus as a whole. And in fact, the favorites are the only category that is really struggling when you look at all games played during the um, during a given week. 35, 36 with five pushes for the season when the favorite in the game 
is the more popular selection among the, all the contestants. When the underdog has been the more popular selection, that's 28, 26, and 1. Slightly above 500, but not enough to eke out a small profit at 52.4%. And the three pick'em games in the contest, the uh, consent, the uh, Contest the contestants rather have been correct in two out of those three overall for the year. The consensus of every game on the board 65 up, 63 down. Six games have resulted in point spread pushes. That's 50.8 percent for the entire field as a whole. And I don't know if that's a record, but given the fact that it is over 50 percent, that's pretty impressive for a field of over 3,100 entrants. As far as a leaderboard goes, the leader is at 36 and 9. That's 36 out of a possible 45 points. That's 80% winners at slightly past the midpoint mark of the season. Uh, that is good enough for a one-point lead over one contestant at 35. Another contestant is at 33 and a half points. Overall, in order to be in the top 100 plus ties, as the uh, contest uh, increased from 50 to 100 paying spots this year, there are uh, 29 and a half points is what is required, and I've got to do the quick math here. 120 contestants at 29 and a half points or better, including 40 who are tied for the uh, final 20 paying spots. So uh, that's a recap of the two super contest, uh, uh, contests at the Westgate. The Golden Nugget contest involves both college and pro sides only. No totals. Seven selections per week. That goes for 17 weeks. The top 20 uh, will cash in that contest. Uh, the one leader in the contest has a very impressive record, picking seven games per week. 45 winners, 15 losses, three games have pushed. That's a total of 46 and a half out of a possible 63 points. That works out to 73.8%, wow. which is good enough for a point and a half lead over the second place contestants. In all, 23 are at 41 points or more, meaning 23 contestants are hitting 65.1% or better for the contest. So the handicappers, uh, the betters, uh, having a very good season thus far. And as you pointed out at the very beginning of our conversation, for a third straight week, the players have gotten the better of the books. Sounds like the players are having a good time in Vegas these days, this football season here, especially of late, according to Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And Andy, speaking about Las Vegas and what's going on, uh, our good friend Jay Cornegay sends out advance lines of the National Football League games, uh, uh, 10 days in advance, I believe it is, in advance of the games that are coming up this week. Uh, any major moves that you saw on the lines that Jason out last week, as opposed to what we're likely to be seeing coming up this weekend. Well, there are 14 games on this week's schedule, and more than half of them have had very interesting line moves or openers. I'll start with the Thursday night game, Carolina at Pittsburgh. Uh, this one involves more of a line move than an adjustment. Uh, of course, uh, Carolina and uh, uh, Pittsburgh both uh, playing last week. Uh, the advanced line for this game had Pittsburgh, a Thursday night home favorite of six and a half points. That's where the game opened on uh, uh, Sunday afternoon. Of course, Carolina had uh, their nice uh, nice win uh, over uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, Pittsburgh 
had a very nice win that a lot of people uh, had forecast uh, going down and evening their season series with Baltimore. So really not too much difference as far as warranting an adjustment in the line. And sure enough, there wasn't. When the line came out Sunday afternoon, it was still the same, six and a half. But there was rapid movement in that game towards the Carolina Panthers, which is a little bit unusual uh, to the extent that it's a Thursday night game, meaning that their short preparation time usually favors the home team, which in this case would be the Pittsburgh Steelers. But that line line on Sunday afternoon opened six and a half by closing time on Sunday that line was down to the Steelers a five-point favorite and then the subsequent line moved to where we are right now the Pittsburgh Steelers down to a four-point favorite over the Carolina Panthers in the Thursday night game interesting because as I mentioned the dynamics of the short week for both teams to prepare and the travel involving Carolina and the fact that I'm not really so sure you can say that either team's performance on Sunday, and certainly in the eyes of Jay Cornegay and his staff, didn't merit any adjustment in the line. So this was all money action that drove that uh, that uh, that uh, current line. Buffalo at the New York Jets, uh, there's much to not like about either team. The advanced line had the New York Jets a seven-point uh, home favorite over Buffalo. Uh, when the Jets lost uh, to Miami in a very uh, sloppy game down uh, down in Miami, and uh, Buffalo uh, not looking very, very good, uh, getting blown out at home against the Bears, the line was adjusted such that the Jets opened as eight-point home favorites, up a point from the seven. There was an early move that actually moved that game up to eight and a half, and yet the subsequent motion on that game has the Jets back to where they were last week, a solid seven-point favorite. Atlanta at Cleveland. Of course, Atlanta went into the nation's capital and put a whipping on the uh, Redskins. The Cleveland Browns lost at home to uh, one of the top two or three teams in the league, the Kansas City Chiefs. Atlanta had been a one and a half point road favorite last week when this game uh, went up, which was, of course, after Cleveland had announced the coaching change. But of course, before the Browns had played their first game under the new coaching staff, the aforementioned loss to Kansas City. When the game came up Sunday afternoon, Atlanta was installed a field goal, three point favorite. However, the early action has moved it up even more. Atlanta now a four-point road favorite. New Orleans at Cincinnati. Of course, New Orleans uh, ended uh, the unbeaten season of the Los Angeles Rams with that thrilling game on Sunday uh, afternoon. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals had their bye last week. Uh, they uh, were expected to be without wide receiver A.J. Green when this line went up 10 days ago. It wasn't sure how long he was going to be out, but they uh, did know he was going to miss this game. The advanced line on this game had New Orleans, a four and a half point road favorite, and that's exactly where this game lost. So there was no real adjustment made by the bookmakers as far as the Saints' performance against the, the Rams was concerned. However, the, the betting action on this game went not surprisingly in favor of the New Orleans Saints, where after sitting around for about 36 hours at four and a half, the Saints were bet up uh, to a five and a half point road favorite. Washington at Tampa Bay, this game was picked last week. It opened at pick following Tampa Bay's uh, loss at Carolina, Washington's home loss uh, to the Atlanta Falcons, which was an ugly home loss, although Tampa Bay was non-competitive for a good part of their game at Carolina, so I'm not sure I can make that much of a distinction. And the bookmakers didn't. They opened this game, pick them. The action quickly came in on Tampa Bay to the point where, as we're doing this podcast, Tampa Bay is a three-point home favorite over Washington. Uh, not going to mention all that much about New England at Tennessee other than the line movement. The game uh, had been six and a half. It opened on Sunday at six, went briefly up to the Patriots to that key number of seven, has dropped down half a point to where it was last week uh, to uh, uh, six. 
to a six and a half point road favorite for the Patriots. No line last week on the Miami Green Bay situation, uh, not knowing the quarterback status for the Miami Dolphins. However, when that game did open this week, Green Bay was a seven and a half point favorite, quickly bet up to a nine point, a nine, excuse me, nine and a half point road favorite. Jacksonville at Indianapolis. This one is interesting because both teams were on buys last week, and uh, the line for this game was Indianapolis at home favored by a point and a half. However, when the game went up on Sunday, an adjustment was made despite the fact that neither team played. Indianapolis, a three-point home favorite, uh, quickly bid up to three and a half, then settled back to where it uh, is right now and has been for the last 24 hours or so. Indianapolis, a three-point home favorite over division rival Jacksonville. Detroit at Chicago. Detroit looked pretty inept in their loss at Minnesota on Sunday. Chicago looked like world beaters, albeit against, albeit against uh, the Buffalo Bills. As a result, the line, which had Chicago a three and a half point road, uh, excuse me, a three and a half point home favorite a week ago, when it came back up Sunday, Bears adjusted all the way up to a six point home favorite and bet up to six and a half. This next one is interesting simply because of the magnitude of the line. Arizona at Kansas City. Last week before this previous weekend's games were played, Kansas City a 14.5-point home favorite over the Arizona Cardinals. Arizona was on a bye last week. Some would argue they've been on a bye the entire season. (laughs) Nonetheless, Kansas City went on the road and uh, won by 16 points at Cleveland. Uh, Perhaps because of how poorly the bookmakers have done the last few weeks and the public's tendency to bet favorites, especially the favorites who have been dominating. Kansas City was installed from a 14.5 point favorite to a 17 point home favorite on the basis of that win at Cleveland, combined, I think, with the uh, poor results in recent weeks. The early action, not surprisingly, because the early action is more often professional action rather than public action. Public usually waits till later in the week to get involved. And as a result, the early action did come in to take the points with uh, Arizona, putting it down to 16 and a half. Won't be surprised if we see the late action put push Kansas City back up to 17 and possibly even higher as the public money often outweighs the sharp money when it comes to game day. Seattle at the Rams. Rams were eight and a half point home favorites a week ago when this line first went up. Uh, as a result of losing their first game, the line was actually adjusted upwards from eight and a half to nine and a half. Seattle, of course, losing at home to the uh, Chargers last week, and uh, the line uh, moved slightly towards uh, the Rams as well, or in favor of the Rams, up to a 10-point home favorite despite the Rams losing uh, their first game. And I know, Mark, you've talked uh, previously on the podcast about the bubble burst theory, which would tend to lead you to a play on the Seattle Seahawks, or actually, I think the way you describe it is actually more of a play against the Los Angeles Rams after losing their first game this late in the season. The early action, which, uh, again, as I mentioned, tends to be more sharp money than uh, uh, public money, uh, disagrees with that. And perhaps some of that early money is for setting up a buyback as money continues to come in on the Rams. And so those folks who laid the nine and a half on Sunday to bet it up to 10 may be waiting for the public come in to come in and push it over 10, come back and create themselves a nice middle at a key number of 10. Andy Isco with the review of the lines in Las Vegas from last week to this week, the moves that have been made, whether they're up or down, according to the Westgate Superbook contest, as we get a report each and every week from Andy and Victor. I know you've got a question you'd like to run by Andy on the show this week as well. Since we're talking about Las Vegas, Andy, you know, we know, I, I know the uh, fans there have embraced the Vegas Golden Knights, the hockey team, 
We've got an NFL team relocating in 2020. That would be the Raiders. So my question is, what is the scuttlebutt? How is the stadium going? We also know that Oakland has pulled off some questionable trades this season. Are they tanking to get draft picks? And finally, where will the Raiders be playing their home games next year? As I understand it, the lease at Oakland Alameda County Coliseum uh, is trying to be extended, but it probably won't be extended. So have we heard where they're going to potentially play their home games in 2019? Oh, Victor, we haven't really heard anything definitive as far as that part of the of your question goes, as far as the progress of the stadium. Uh, it's coming along very, very nicely. It's starting to take shape. We have a lot of overhead shots that show, hey, that's uh, coming along very nicely. It's been it should meet the schedule very easily. The the, uni- the unions involved out there are doing a great uh, a great job. And actually, uh, I forget the exact name of the website. You could probably Google it and find out that they do have live shots of the progress of the stadium, so folks can actually see how it unfolds over the next roughly 18 months or so until construction is expected to be uh, completed. Uh, as far as uh, the uh, uh, the tanking on the season. A lot of people thought when they uh, traded uh, uh, Khalil Mack to Chicago on the eve of the season that that indicated the intention uh, that the Raiders would uh, would not be uh, fielding a very competitive team or at least a team that would be as competitive as expected. Of course, the in-season trade of Amari Cooper and other moves that they've made uh, seem to suggest that this is a season that John Gruden has basically punted. He's using this season to evaluate the personnel, which are the kind of players he wants to have going forward. Many people are speculating that uh, the Raiders are doing this and perhaps even a little bit next year so that they will be a playoff competitor by the time the move to Vegas takes place in 2020. It remains to be seen if Gruden has some of his old magic or uh, if he's uh, just uh, not connecting with the modern ball player. He's been out of the game as a coach you know, for over a decade, even though he's been in the game as the commentator and maybe he's just not relating or the players aren't relating to him as much as uh, he had uh, expected. As far as where the Raiders are going to play next year, there's been uh, no determination made. Uh, The thought uh, with the Oak with staying in Oakland is that Oakland is going to sort of try and stick it to the Raiders by charging them some exorbitant rent and the Raiders are preparing for that possibility and they've been looking elsewhere. Sam Boyd Stadium here in Las Vegas where the uh, uh, where the UNLV Rebels play their games or at least for the next couple of seasons till the new stadium is up uh, has been considered but the NFL uh, has uh, deemed it not sufficient without modifications being made which is kind of interesting. I believe the capacity is a little over 40,000 and yet the Chargers are playing in a 27,000-seat stadium uh, outside Los Angeles until their new stadium that they'll share with the Rams is completed in a couple of years as well. Uh, the thought has been San Antonio is a possibility, and some thought that I, I tend to agree with is they may end up playing next season in San Diego at the old, uh, uh, what, I, I think it used to be Qualcomm, uh, Jack Murphy Stadium, whatever whatever name it is right now, the structure still sits there, and uh, there has been some talk that the, uh, that the Raiders might play there, and of course they still have a loyal following uh, throughout Southern California and having been to a number of games in San Diego when the Chargers were located there and they hosted the Raiders, uh, the stadium was at least half and generally a little bit more than half filled with uh, uh, with Raider fans. So that move would make sense as well, certainly because it does meet the uh, qualifications for uh, an NFL
NFL style stadium. Uh, again, a little perplexed. Maybe maybe it's not so much the capacity of Sam Boyd, but maybe, and I, I think this might be more the case, the facilities, the locker room, etc., may not be up to NFL standards. So that could all be uh, in the process. We should find out. I'm guessing some sort of answer, probably towards uh, the latter part of January into February, because there will be some advanced time needed. Uh, the city, uh, it, well, let's put it this way: it has not stopped the city from betting against the Raiders uh, this season, even though the Raiders <laughs> will be the city's team in a couple of years. Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas with an update on the Vegas vibe and what's going on in the Sin City this particular weekend. And Andy, before we let you go and head off to the sports books in Vegas, your complimentary play in the show this week for our listeners, if you will. Uh, well, Mark, I'm going to take a look at a team in a game involving a pair of teams with identical records. For one of those teams, it's been a nice little uh, start to to, uh, to improve, if you will, to even though it's a below 500 at three and five. For the other team, it's a disappointment to be at three and three and five, as they were expected to be perhaps the reverse, five and three, or even better. And I'm talking about the game between Jacksonville and Indianapolis, a divisional game, both teams off buys. Jacksonville has lost four in a row. Maybe a bit of bad karma uh, for uh, uh, head coach Malarkey, who rubbed it into the Jets. Uh, in their win earlier this year by going for a two-point conversion with the game out of hand late in the contest, and they've lost four straight since then. Of course, their most recent loss came two weeks ago in England when they lost in what was a competitive game against the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. And, of course, after playing in London, they did have the week off. Indianapolis, which has been a very pleasant surprise as Andrew Luck rounds back into shape. Not quite yet at his previous shape before the injury that sidelined him for all of uh, 2017, but he started to get the look, started to get the field back, still not able to really throw the deep ball uh, and even throw the ball over the middle, uh, mid-range passes as much as he would like, but we expect to see continued improvement. I'm going to take the three points with Jacksonville in this game. Fundamentally, they are the better team. The defense has been shattered. I think the game against uh, uh, Jacksonville, was, uh, excuse me, the game against Dallas was really the one that was the eye-opener. The week before, they had lost badly in Kansas City, but Kansas City has been moving up to down the field on everybody. Indianapolis still has some concern concerns on uh, defense. Uh, but as far as Jacksonville goes, yeah, Blake Bortles having his issues. Sometimes he's good, sometimes he's bad. He's been more bad than good this year. Defensively, I think the time off will have enabled this team to work out some of the issues that they've had over the past months. It is a step down in class in facing Indianapolis. Uh, not sure if Jacksonville is going to be able to come to overcome those five losses to make the playoffs, but I've always maintained as long as you haven't lost six games, you still have a shot to make the playoffs. The difficulty is much greater if you've got four or five losses than you're, if, if you're sitting at two or three. Now, Indianapolis had five losses as well, but they don't have the depth on their roster, uh, I think, to be able to make the full 16-game charge to the playoffs. I'm going to take uh, the field goal in a game that I personally would have opened up at Pickham, uh, which actually was where the lines makers uh, weren't too far off. I think I mentioned earlier that uh, the Colts were one-and-a-half-point home favorites last week, and they uh, were moved up to an opening number of of three uh, when the lines went up despite neither team playing. I'll grab that field goal in a game I think the uh, Jags can and will win outright. Andy takes the value with the Jacksonville Jaguars against the Indianapolis Colts for his complimentary call on the football card this week. And Andy, once again, a great job on the show. As always, I'm going to wish you the best of luck this week and we'll look forward to catching up with you next week here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. 
Thank you, Mark. And I likewise will wish you, Victor, and all of our listeners the best of success as they uh, challenge the uh, Week 10 card in the NFL. And, of course, also, let's not forget the home stretch in college football. It's hard to believe with uh, Thanksgiving coming as early as it does this year that we are almost at the point where we really have to start also considering uh, the weather conditions as well as teams that are alive and are being eliminated as far as our handicapping goes on both college and pro football levels. Words of wisdom from Andy Isco at TheLogicalApproach.com. Don't go away, guys. When we come back, we're going to share with you our awesome angle of the week, and Victor and I will also share our complimentary plays on the football card when we're back with the final segment here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. Attention sports fans, it's time to get in on all the football action at mybookie.ag. This industry-leading website is renowned for having the best odds and more betting options than any other sports book online. This is why Mark Lawrence only endorses mybookie.ag. Call toll-free at 1-844-900-2387 or go online to mybookie.ag to open an account and start winning today. Get the odds you want and the fast payouts you need guaranteed that's my bookie.a as an apple and g as in games tell them mark lawrence sent you only the biggest only the best only at mybookie.ag sign up today and now the moment you've been waiting for from the hot south florida sun it's mark lawrence with his awesome angle of the week all right, guys, let's get to it. Our awesome angle of the week this week in college football, we call it Ships Ahoy. And what we're looking to do is to play on any college football military dog of 20 or more points if they're coming off a loss of 16 or more points and are taking on a 666 or greater opponent. The bottom line is military teams don't quit trying, and they're especially attractive as large dogs. These military dogs of 20 or more points off a loss of 16 or more, taking on a 666 or better opponent, are now 19-3-1 against the spread. That's a terrific 83% winning angle. We'll be playing on Navy this week in college football for our Ships Ahoy awesome angle play on the football card this week. And with that, I'm going to hand it off to Victor King from King Creole Sports to find out what Victor's got on tap at King Creole Sports this weekend. And, Victor, your complimentary play on the show, if you will. Can do. Let's not forget our Playbook family of newsletters, Midweek Alert newsletter. The Playbook newsletter has done fantastic now in the last five or six weeks. Best bets went, again, 5-1 and one last week. 22-8 and eight now in the last five weeks. You're going to want to grab this week's issue for $10 at playbook.com. Uh, a winning week for the totals tip sheet last week. Uh, services did pretty well also. Uh, Mark looks like three and one on Saturday in college football. Came back with a Sunday winner on the Pittsburgh Steelers. A Monday outright winner on the Tennessee Titans. Nicely done. Well played. Uh, for our service, our King Crail service, we did hit the four star NFL over of the week last week. 70 points were scored in that Carolina Tampa Bay game. And we followed that up with a nice three star under of the day winner in the Steelers. Ravens game that one cashed by eight points as well so it's a uh, full steam ahead November is historically our best month of the season you're going to want to check out the playbook family of newsletters and of course our services this weekend we've got a, 
Already got a play up on the playbook.com website and over under selection for the Thursday night game, Carolina against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll have three more NFL over unders available for Sunday. And those plays will be posted sometime on Friday. Again, at the playbook.com website and for our free play of the week, you know, we've been talking the Raiders during our Andy Isco segment, and we're going to be going to the Raiders chargers game this week and going under the total. Uh, we'll be expecting a fairly low scoring game out there in the Bay area as the Raiders host the chargers. I think the over underline that's up there right now, 50 and a half to 51 points is anywhere from about three to five points too high to begin with. Uh, after all the series, the average over-under line is only 47 in the last four meetings, and all four of those last four meetings between these two teams have gone under the total by a nice margin as well. The average margin, minus 11.8 points per game. Again, in an NFL game, when I see a chalky road team, I'm always going to consider the under first, especially in a division game like this one. Going all the way back to the 2009 season, this has gone 23-56-2 over under. And in the last three seasons, much, much better. Three overs, 20 unders in the last three seasons. Basically, week 15 or less, division games in which the road team is favored by six or more points. That's the case this week. The Chargers are laying anywhere from 10 to 11 against the Raiders in this particular game. Uh, the Chargers come in with a very good record, 6-2 and two at 7.50 on the season. It looks like they're definitely playoff bound, while, of course, the Raiders are having that nightmare of a first half. They're currently, what, 1-7 and seven on the season. Here you go, 2-17 and 17 over under last four years out of the database. All 750 or better road teams against any home team with a 250 or less winning percentage in game three or greater. What I also like about this is in our playbook totals tip sheet newsletter, I talk about pace of play a lot in the NFL. And over the last three games, these are the slowest two teams in the league. The Chargers, number 32 in offensive plays per game. At only 50.7, they're taking their time at the line of scrimmage. Oakland, number 31, only 53 plays per game on offenses. And not only that, but uh, kind of hard to believe, but both defenses have been playing pretty well in the red zone. They're both ranked in the top 11 in defensive red zone TD this season. Definitely, we got some value, and we're going under the total. Chargers versus Raiders this week in the Bay Area. Victor goes under the total in the Chargers-Raiders game this weekend for his complimentary play on the football card this week. And be sure to get on board with Victor at King Creole Sports this weekend for all of his college and pro football plays this weekend. You'll be glad you did. Before I get to my complimentary play on the football card this week, I want to remind our listeners once again about the Playbook Token Special Offer Rewards. Playbook tokens are now in effect at playbook.com. No more need to use credit cards to secure experts' picks, publications, selections, and so forth and whatnot. You can do it all fast and securely with your playbook tokens. You can get $100 in free playbook tokens. If you're not yet registered at playbook.com, do so now at playbook.com and take advantage of the playbook tokens and score your $100 in free playbook tokens while you're there. 
Before I get to my complimentary play on the card, I also want to remind our listeners that my NFL Perfect System Play of the Year is going to kick off this Sunday in the NFL. We are now 6-1 and one in our seven big game plays this football season. We went 5-2 and two overall on our $99 football weekend of winners last weekend. You can pick up the NFL Perfect System Play of the Year part of another $99 football weekend of winners when you log on next at playbook.com or give your office a call toll-free to get on board today at 1-800-321-7777. My complimentary play on the football card this week, we're going to use one of the college football's most under-the-radar football teams who continues to keep impressing, especially for those of you who like to follow statistics. I'm talking about the Bobcats from Charlotte, the Charlotte Bobcats, we're going to take 14 and a half points against Marshall this weekend. This is a Marshall football team that is just one and six to the spread, if you will, going backwards in their last seven home games. That one point spread win, by the way, came as a two and a half point home underdog. They're laying 14 and a half to Charlotte. I'm talking about Charlotte coming in here on a four-game point spread streak right now. Vegas is not catching up with this team at Charlotte this football season here. They've outyarded six of their nine opponents they've played on the field here. They've held three of their last four opponents to season-low yards. They bring the nation's number 12-ranked defense overall in team defense Do the Bobcats into this football game allowing just 305 yards a game. That's 35 yards better than Marshall in this contest here. An upset would not at all surprise me in the game. I'll play Charlotte plus the points against Marshall for my complimentary play on the football card this week. And that's going to put the final wraps on this edition of Mark Lawrence against the spread. I want to thank our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports and our good friend Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas for another great job on the show as always. And for our good friend Jack Reynolds, who we know is listening from above, until next week, once again, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.